When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We've all been there. It's Wednesday night and the Champions League is in full swing. A player you've never heard of picks up the ball on the halfway line. He goes past one, goes past another. And then all of a sudden, he's on the edge of the box. He doesn't look up, but he curls a beauty into the top right-hand corner. He's the next big thing coming to Spurs. You sure of it? Well, now you can make a bit of cash on your prediction too. Football Index is the stock market for buying shares in footballers and the only football stock market available. They can even win payouts when they score an assist and when they perform in the media. Remember, this is an investment and a sure way of making profit, similar to what Harry Winks and Oliver Skip were when they were promoted to the Tottenham Hotspur first team. So go to www.footballindex.co.uk or download this app. Use the code SPURS on sign up to get the £500 money back guarantee. Start trading in something you love today with Football Index. Terms and conditions apply, 18 plus, and please gamble responsibly at begamblerware.org. Thank you for your support, as always. The last word on Spurs has teamed up with Harry's. Now, Harry's is a shaving product which, to talk you through the story, two ordinary guys, Jeff and Andy, were fed up with overpriced razors and started Harry's to fix shaving. Now, Harry's knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. By taking less profit... Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Now, Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, along with rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover as well. Now, I've used Harry's personally, and I'm a man that likes to keep my beard in shape, and I can tell you, you won't go wrong using Harry's. You can get started shaving right now with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for only £3.95. Support our podcast and get your trial set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover by simply going to Harry's dot com forward slash spurs tis the season to be hunched over your laptop not on our watch in real life you can feel your senses and your baskets feel all the sights sounds lols and omgs wear laughing emojis on actual smiley faces battery is running low take the kids to santa's grotto in real life you can find just the right present using the most advanced search engine in the world your eyes. We heart in real life. Rent Cross London. Free parking for all sleighs and cars. Hello and welcome to the last word on Spurs. A break 
an international one. And for some Spurs fans out there, I think it's probably what we need. But don't worry, we're still talking all things Tottenham. And we've got and brought back the man, the legend of this football club. Arguably our greatest ever player to some one of them. What a legend he is. The skipper himself. I'm delighted to say we've got Steve Perryman. 866 appearances for the football club. 39 goals. Two UEFA Cups. Two FA Cups. Two League Cups. Steve, thank you so much. Or skipper, should I say, for joining us for this special show. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm absolutely delighted to, uh, to be talking to you. And um, hope I can keep your, your people entertained. Oh, Steve, you kept us entertained for God knows how many years on the pitch and off it. You are a true gent. And Jace, we are just so pleased and humbled to have this man joining us, aren't we, for this hour in store? For me, there's not a, a bigger legend. I know Danny Blanchflower won the double and things like that, but 800 and over 800 appearances and, and you know, in a 15-year in a career, never being dropped and, and playing 40-plus games a season, every season. The, the fitness of the man and the consistency of the man it is, is quite a remarkable career he had. Absolutely wonderful. Now, Jason, you've already had, a, a, you know, a, a very good read of this book. Tell us what you thought of it. It is an amazing quality of a book. It's um, a bit like the, you know, your real glossy paper, like the, the spur shirt was on last year. It's not your traditional big black print on on see-through paper that most autobiographies are. The, the quality is fantastic, but um, the story just takes that quality even further. It's it's an amazing read. It's it's, it's a fantastic read. It'll be perfect for Christmas, but uh, but the story within it is is one that every single Spurs fan should should know about. That's for sure. Yeah. The book itself, Steve, how long you, had you been planning it for? I answered a question the other day to someone and the same thing. How, how long have you been planning this? So I said, well, I've been being asked for the last five years. And the publisher friend of mine said, Steve, it's 10 years we've been asking you. <laughs> and I think the length of time that I've been thinking book um, – says something about the quality because the the quickest you can turn a book around if you're not that bothered by the what you're presenting out there in your name is about six weeks and some have done it in six weeks um i've been talking to adam powley the chap who co-wrote the book with me uh for about 18 months and uh and we talk about, you know, he goes through his, a set sort of pattern of, of, of journalism. So, um, but in between, I, you know, I'm working at Exeter or I'm helping at MK Dons and things happen. And I think, you know, that, that happened in my career and this is how we dealt with it. So all these different aspects were coming up to remind me to mention it to Adam uh, to add a bit of depth to the book, and I'm not a great reader, I have to be honest, but I might be reading the Sunday magazine or hearing a news story, and that would sort of uh, prompt me to to think along a certain line. So as much as it, it was in depth, it's then during 18 months got sort of layers added to it. Now I'm talking like I'm a I'm a massive bookman but i'm not but in terms of the information that i was giving over to uh, to adam 
uh, it just means that I didn't really forget too much. And of course, when you get to our age, there's a lot of things passed you by and a lot of things that uh, need to be said and you, you can't get it all in a book. But uh, I think this is as good a try as anyone could give. And uh, so I'm I'm really proud of it. Who wouldn't say that? Um, the re uh, you kindly mentioned that the quality of the paper and stuff like that and the photographs. Well, I've been lucky enough to have a, a, a Ted, my oldest brother, and he's sort of been a bit of a mentor to me and especially in my young days, and then I happen to meet other people. And I, I regard a mentor as someone who doesn't get paid to advise you. Um, you know, a coach working at a football club, of course, that's his job to, to, to pass you on information, to try and help your game, try and um, eradicate problems within your game and stuff. But, of course, they get paid for that, and, and rightly so. Of course, they, they need to. Um, I've met various people in my career at different stages that have just helped me and had an effect on me. And I felt they deserved to be um, to be highlighted um, because, like I said, they they did it because of probably me. Of course, my brother is going to help his younger brother, uh, Phil Holder, who, who uh, was a, a teammate of mine and a, and a colleague in the apprentice days and into the early professionalism, um, he he had a, a real profound effect on how I played the game um, because of his character. And I liked the things he did and how he carried himself on the football field. So I sort of went along with that. And another chap called Alf Darcy, who, who some people rate as the, the, um, the best amateur English international, um, and he led us on tours with Tottenham. And therefore, I spent a lot of time with Alf in hotels and planes and wherever. And, you know, this this was probably one of the most professional people I've ever met. And he was never a pro footballer, but he thought in a professional way. And someone else along the same lines as that, people may know, is a man called John Newman. Now, there was a John Newman in in professional football, but I never knew him. And he had the link with Exeter City. Uh, but my John Newman is from uh, Billericay, that sort of way, Essex. And he got, um, I think he won the Vars twice with Billericay and uh, got him to a third final um, and was sort of made Billericay famous before all this sort of other nonsense has gone on in the last few years. So um, uh, I, I thought these people deserved to be, to have some credit. And for me to to give people the idea how a professional player can be influenced along his career. And maybe I was just lucky that I met the right people. But um, uh, but they certainly added things to my game and made me act and think a bit different. And when you back that up, of course, with Keith Perkinshaw, Eddie Bailey, Bill Nicholson, Etc. Etc. And, and the fantastic teammates that I had, you know, people like Mike England telling you as a 17-year-old, Steve, slow down. You, you're not going to last. You've got to, you know, take a breath. And um, you know, Pat Jennings is always always a good one. Never loud, but great with his his voice and and helping you. 
So um, you, you put all that together. Um, I've had great help in my career. And um, I, I just think those people needed to be um, it to be explained what how they helped me. And any young player uh, coming through these days, a bit of advice I would give them is, you know, someone said to me about a couple of years ago, and, and these are the type of things that I, I write down and, and note for when I, I'm doing a book. Uh, a clever person lives from, from his own experiences, improves from his own experiences. And I'm sure I've done that over the course of 800 odd games. A very clever person doesn't only earn from his, learn from his own experiences, he, he learns from others. And, you know, I think there's a bit of a clue there as per my progress or my longevity or my ability to be selectable. Um, and, and all goes to helping your career. And I suppose in a selfish way, what you're looking to do is is miss the cut uh, every year. You know, there's there, when I first started, there was 50 professionals at Tottenham and probably 16 apprentices. Well, you want to get through that, those apprentice years and become a pro. And then when you're a pro, you've got to hang on to being a pro. You want to miss the cut at the end of the year when they let eight go and sign four new ones, etc. Um, and then, of course, you get into the team. So you're good enough to miss the cut. And now you want to miss the cut of the of the team selection. So you 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 actually, although I'm a team player, I'm I'm a team person. You are putting yourself above the others that are vying for your position on the apprentice list or the professional list or the first team list. So um, so yeah, it 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 takes a bit of thought. It takes a bit of cleverness, I suppose. Or and, and and one of the other things with regard to seeking improvement, I um I never really fancied myself as a footballer. Now I know that's difficult to sort of understand because you know, for instance, the respect level I got yesterday signing books at Tottenham was immense. And um you know, people said some very nice, kind things, as you you two have done already. Um, if you if you come away from a game thinking, "How good am I?" Wow, I'm half a good player. You probably start to then sort of rest on your laurels and and don't think about improving. But it was always to the front of my mind if I made two bad passes a game, if I give a dodgy back pass, if you know, someone beat me too easy. Um, and therefore, I I always looked at my own game first. And um, I think that helps you just keep the edge that you need to, to, to want to improve and seek the improvement, be it practiced by listening to people, the right people. And um, I mean, I thought I run funny style. I hated seeing myself on television. <laughs> Um, I weren't a classy mover by any means. My my brother, who, who was a mentor, Ted, older brother, he, you know, he, he sometimes said to me, "You look like you're running uphill." Um, and that wasn't the fact I was. He thought I was slow. That was the fact that I I didn't sort of straighten my knees out. Um, so I 
I would rather be critical than than praise myself. And I think that's called being humble. And that's not me just saying it. I am, um, you know, even within the book that I'm so pleased of, I think I maybe could have said that a bit better or change that a bit better or what so it's um it comes back to your character i'm not saying my character's better than anyone else's but i'm um we're all our own character aren't we um i think my character helped me be consistent as a person consistent as a player and um which led to me having a long career Obviously, the, the the early chapters refer to your, your growing up and your, your fantastic schoolboy career. But would, when you finally signed in the summer of 67, within a few weeks, Bill Nicholson, the great man himself, was already thrusting you into the limelight when we were due to play European champion Celtic. And how tough was it as an apprentice and, of course, working under the players, the characters like, like Bill, but Eddie Bailey and particularly Johnny Wallace at that time? Yeah, well, you know, you, you've named three great people there in my uh, in my eyes. Um, when you join, you leave school at 15, you virtually fell out of bed to go to school. You know, you start about 10 to 9, you get home about 20 to 4. Um, there's no hardship in that, is there? Walking to school or bike to school or even a bus, but... Then all of a sudden you are thrust into this world and it's, it's my own doing. I I was good enough to sign for, for a professional club. Um, Tottenham were the first to recognise that, uh, which, which sort of stayed in my memory. Um, the fact that I didn't sign that schoolboy form that was offered me uh, the first time Charlie Faulkner came around the house with the influence of my brother, you know, my big brother Ted said, He's only four years older than me, so I was an under-15, so he's sort of 19-ish. Um, no, no, he, he don't have to sign that form. If, if you want him to come training, he can come training, but he, he don't have to sign that form. So um, I'm thinking, Ted, shut up. You know, this man of the club <laughs> wants me. Just let it go. Anyway, he wouldn't let it go, and therefore I could go training at Tottenham, as, as I really enjoyed during that most of that year. And, um, you know, eventually you're seen good enough to sign an apprentice and I decided, they decided on me and I decided on them as against others. And Including that lot down the road. Of course, <laughs> of course. I never, I never felt comfortable there. I did go for a trial. I did go for a training night. I didn't feel warm. I didn't feel, um, I didn't feel anything there and, and was the total opposite to how I felt at Tottenham. Now, you know, perhaps Tottenham were putting on an act for me, but I don't think they were. I'm, I notice how they treat other people, um, you know, boys that had signed the schoolboy form, for instance. So they were there. They were they, they had to sign if, if they were offered it. So, um, yeah, I mean, my my big decision was, was between QPR, which was a local team for me that I used to watch. I can't say I supported them, but I used to watch dragged along by two older brothers uh, or, or, and, and the other two were West Ham and uh, remember this is 1967 yeah Hurstmore and Peters World Cup glory etc so my brother my influence said Steve West Ham that's the team that teach you how to play um, and a love 
well, the beginning of a bit of love or certainly respect for Tottenham Hotspur for being first on my doorstep and treating me so nicely. So um, I, I hope for Tottenham, fantastic decision. Um, but then you've got to cope with this new life. And I went from travelling about 10 minutes to school and 10 minutes home to travelling two hours to Tottenham and two hours home. My apprentice day started at seven o'clock, uh, so I was probably up at six, leave my house at seven, um, almost two hours to the dock to arrive at the gates at Tottenham and two hours home at the end of the day. So it was a, it actually lasted from seven in the morning till seven at night. And that is extremely tiring, all that goes with it. You've also got the mental pressure of, of a group of people that you're training with or you're changing alongside that that believe you've you've had a you've had a bung a backhander to join the club because I was wanted by so many people, which wasn't true. Um, and of course, over the o, o, over the time, I'm invited to do things. I travelled with a team uh, in my first year apprenticeship to push the skips because Cecil Pointon was ill. Or he still went, but he was he wasn't great. He wasn't feeling great. So, I mean, they chose me in front of others. Well, of course, there's there's a bit of jealousy starts, and and you know the discipline in any sort of club at that time was was almost like a, a sort of military discipline, uh, where you had you know you had to be tested, and you know as, as a 15 year old changing in the same changing room as 20 21 year olds. Is a, is a bit to take because I tell you what, their banter, as it's called today, was, was top quality. And you only had to step out of line or say the wrong thing. Um, they were on you. So what you're talking about is after a few days, the call comes from down the far end, which is where the first team were, to this end where the youngest of young were. Uh, Bill Nicholson wants to speak to Steve Perriman. So they're looking at me saying, what's he want to speak to you for? I, 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 I don't know. Well, you better get Le- down there and see what he wants. Steve. And then you come back and report to us what he wanted. So I go down there and uh, Bill says, how are you doing? Uh, uh, yeah, fine, fine. He said, big game coming up. Um, Celtic are playing our team. We're the FA Cup holders. They're the European Cup holders. It's going to be over 100,000 people at this pre-season game. And the cameras are going to come and speak to our players about it. So while the cameras are here, on behalf of a different type of programme, a kids' magazine programme, they want to talk to uh, someone about the life of an apprentice professional. And I've said, you're going to do it. Now, straight away, I'm thinking, how can I go back to that dressing room where I, where I change and tell that mob? So I said, uh, no, 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 Bill, I can't. Look, I've said you're doing it, you're doing it. So I go back down the other end. What did he want? So now I'm, I've got to tell a lie. So I said, oh, um, my dad's forgot to sign a form or something. I've got to, I've got to get it off my dad. Oh, Oh, anyway, that sort of, that was okay with them. So I couldn't sleep for two days, two nights. Um, creep back down to see Bill Nicholson, 
because if I'd been spotted, they'd have said, what are you doing down that end? You don't belong down there. Knock on his door, come in. I, he said, what do you want? I said, um, Bill, I've, I've been thinking about that. I, I can't uh, I can't do that uh, TV thing. I, I, I've never spoken on telly before. I can't, I can't do it. I've said that you're going to do it. You're going to do it. I said, but Bill, you said it's about the life of an apprentice professional. I've only been an apprentice for three days. I, <laughs> I don't know the life. He said, trust me, you are going to do it. <laughs> so what Bill wanted to do, they'd signed a, a, a much-fated um, uh, schoolboy international player, and he wanted to sort of advertise the fact that Tottenham could sign this level of player from 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 the young ranks, the schoolboy ranks. Uh, of course, it didn't do me any good. Uh, you know, these these people that think because I played for England schoolboys, I'm flash, which I certainly am not, uh, or I had a bung, which I certainly did not have, um, that they, um, now I'm being specially treated. And I actually don't know how I got through that. I don't know how I got through it. The mental torment of that travel that uh, spotlight being on you, that um, that glow, if you like, and and then of course, all things being equal, you you being pre-season, you're going to feel stiff, you're going to feel sore, you're training like you've never trained before. Not that you're unfit as a schoolboy, but you certainly are not not fit enough. So um, with all this thing going on in your head, you know, I, I, um, I struggled with it. And then you pick up an injury because your body is being overworked. The injury finds your weakest part of your body, which was my back. And I, I was out of a back uh, problem for about a month uh, or even longer than that. And now you're traveling on the train and you're absolutely shattered. You've had a too long a day as far as what you're used to. And you got this bad back. When you get up, you 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 know you you you're wincing, and uh, you're getting this grief in your ear holes every day from from people that um, that are either jealous of you or don't understand where you're at, etc. What happens eventually is that you it comes down to football. Can you play or not? And I must have put across. When I was when I got fit from the back injury, that I could play, that I weren't special. I didn't think I was special. I didn't fancy myself, and uh, I got on with a job and tried to do my, the best for my team. And uh, so I think I got through by hard work and a bit of effort and and uh, keeping my mouth shut, if you like. Steve, those first scenes in the first team brought great success: two League Cup winners' medals, a UEFA Cup winners' medal as well. How much did that period itself instill the importance of winning trophies to you? When you're with a group of players, um, people talk about budgets. Not that you ever think about that as a player, but it's obvious something's happening behind the scenes that, you know, you can, the team can afford this or can't afford that. Um, and at the end of the season, when it's all tallied up, have you... Um, have you been credible? Have you done your job? Have you earned your money as low as it was then? Um, have you earned your money? Have you um, have you have you kept your respect 
you know, are, are you a bona fide professional who deserves to play for Tottenham Hotspur? And um, of course, the manager has got his own opinion of you. Are you improving or are you solving problems? Are you a leader? How's your passing? How's your touch? Does it need improving? Um, so there's there's all these judgments on you going the whole time. But um, the, the bottom line is, have you won anything? Um, it's all right being a good team, but have you won anything? And as you rightly said, in those early years for me, um, we did win things. I mean, I, I won a hell of a lot with the Spurs youth team. And the pinnacle of that was the uh, FA Youth Cup, which Tottenham had never won before. But in you know, every league we played, every cup we played, we, you know, one year we won everything bar one trophy. We got beat 1 0 at Colchester one night. And I can't tell you how we got beat, but we did. And um, so that was your way as a, as a youth team player, uh, being credible or being viable or whatever you want to call it. And, um, and at pro level, Again, same thing. And there's so few trophies you can win. You might, you've got to try your ultimate in every every trophy you can. So um, eventually we won the League Cups and the, the UEFA Cup and stuff. And I'm the youngster in the team. I'm having a ball. I, I think this is going to happen every year. Well, of course it don't. And Alan Mallory said to me one day, Steve, you better enjoy this because this is not normal. You... you <laughs> You're on a roll, Cocker. You, 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 this don't happen. You win one, one trophy every six, seven, eight years. Um, enjoy it while you can. He's, he's not saying go out and get drunk and stuff like that. But, <laughs> but um, well, in, yeah, enjoy. If it's the last game of the season, uh, although the League Cup wouldn't have been, but maybe the UEFA Cup win was. Last game of the season, yeah, go and enjoy yourself. Have a good rest and, and prepare for next because... The moment you walk into that training ground at the start of pre-season for the next season, it means nothing. Yes, for last season, it means good. You've, you've stood up for yourself and you've been accountable. But now it's done. It's finished. You've been paid your bonus, whatever it was. Now it's on to the next and you've got to get the next one. And that's something that Bill Nick sort of instilled in the players. And uh, don't rest on your laurels. Someone else is is pushing for you. You know, he might have used my name early on. You know, Steve Perriman's come into the team. Um, we've got other good youngsters below him. If you take your foot off the pedal, they're coming for you. So, um, so that that's the point of winning trophies. And when you win a trophy, you the 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 belief grows in your own game. The belief grows in your team and your teammates, in your club. Uh, the supporters and the players get closer. I'm not saying we weren't ever close, but you get even closer. Their respect for you goes up a notch because you've won a trophy. They can go into work and you know speak in good terms about their team, and um, and everyone's proud of the the name, the name Tottenham Hotspur, and and uh, that's what I think it means to a club. We are going to go for a very quick break. And taking you into that break is Anna from Spurs XY, who will be reviewing Tottenham Hotspur's historic Barclays FA Women's Super League fixture against Arsenal. 
And after that break, we'll be hearing more from... Tis the season to be hunched over your laptop. Not on our watch. In real life, you can fill your senses and your baskets. Feel all the sights, sounds, lols and OMGs. Wear laughing emojis on actual smiley faces. Battery's running low. Take the kids to Santa's Grotto. In real life, you can find just the right present using the most advanced search engine in the world. Your eyes. We heart in real life. Rent Cross London. Free parking for all sleighs and cars. Steve Perryman on his time spent at Tottenham Hotspur. We've all been there. It's Wednesday night and the Champions League is in full swing. A player you've never heard of picks up the ball on the halfway line. He goes past one, goes past another. And then all of a sudden, he's on the edge of the box. He doesn't look up, but he curls a beauty into the top right-hand corner. He's the next big thing coming to Spurs. You sure of it? Well, now you can make a bit of cash on your prediction too. Football Index is the stock market for buying shares in footballers and the only football stock market available. They can even win payouts when they score an assist and when they perform in the media. Remember, this is an investment and a sure way of making profit, similar to what Harry Winks and Oliver Skip were when they were promoted to the Tottenham Hotspur first team. So go to www.footballindex.co.uk or download this app. Use the code SPURS on sign up to get the £500 money back guarantee. Start trading in something you love today with Football Index. Terms and conditions apply, 18 plus, and please gamble responsibly at begamblerware.org. Thank you for your support as always. Hello everyone, I'm Anna from Spurs XY and welcome back to the Spurs Women segment here on The Last Word on Spurs. It was today. Finally, we got to it. The North London derby at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Honestly, I was so excited for this. If you listen to the Love Sport radio show that we talked about it there midweek, I went on to the BBC and talked about it there. There, there was proper hype for this. It was built up a lot. For right, rightfully so. I mean, it's a North London derby. You can't knock that. And... One of the main goals, I think, for this, like there were a couple of things going into this game I wanted to achieve. I wanted to achieve uh, a good attendance. I wanted to break the, the record, the WSL record, because I wanted to attract more attention and more fans to the game, to Spurs women, because they deserve it. The other thing was that within the game, I wanted us to, to make ourselves proud and, and do ourselves proud because I know we can play really, really well. And I wanted to have fun. So let's get into it. The record, we broke the record attendance. It's the, it's over 38,000. The original record, I think, was around 35 or 36 for the Manchester Derby, but we broke that. And it felt like a lot of people went there. I I thought it was a, it would be a bit busier, but I was actually still blown away by how busy it was. So it was brilliant. There were loads of families there, loads of kids, loads of, ki- lo- loads of daughters and, and little girls as well. It was lovely to see how many... Um, how many people that attracted as well. And it was it was crazy to see how many families were there, really. Like, um, I didn't sit in my usual seat, but uh, at the South Stand, so I was, I was sitting by the halfway line. But it was, I was just looking around and I could, I, all I saw were families. Everyone either came with kids or teenagers or anything. Like, there were just families, like loads of them, which was quite, which was really, really cool. That's That was, you know, one of the goals achieved was we managed to, bring more attention to women's side of football. And then going into the game, we put out a very strong side. Um, I was, I really liked it. I think it was good. It showed fright and character. Uh, you know, there was no sentiment involved. It was about the footballing event. It was about the football match, not just the event. And I really liked it. And to be honest, that all came through in the first half. We played incredible. Like, 
Um, okay, it wasn't probably our best football because we still made mistakes and some of our final passes and final balls weren't the best. But overall, we held our own so well and we were just amazing. We were not phased at all by the, the atmosphere. On the contrary, I think it spurred us on, excuse the pun. I think it really edged us on and we, we really thrived in it. And I knew we would. I had a feeling. Uh, BBC asked me while we were recording, it's like, how do you think, will they crumble? I was like, no, we're not. We're not going to crumble. I know these. I don't know them, obviously, personally, but I had a feeling that we wouldn't. And I was so proud of them. We just, we honestly, the, the, the Arsenal didn't look, I don't know how they won the season last year because they didn't look that strong. I must say, overall, I think Chelsea and, and United look much stronger. So, um so we we looked really, really, really good in the first half. We had some great chances. Kit Graham went through on and was one-on-one with the keeper, but she just couldn't put it past her. And um, we just had chances, but we just didn't take them. And unfortunately, when you play against a, a stronger opposition, they will, you know, if they even if they don't get that many chances, they're unfortunately going to put it away. And unfortunately, that's what happened in the second half. Like, um, they scored. It was Little. Um, the player's name is called Little. And... Um, and she just she was bossing the second half like you could visibly see that she, everything was going through her uh, and then they just got the goal and it was a little bit against runner play but at the end of the day at 1-0 I was like okay fine it's 1-0 um, I didn't expect us to win I was very very hopeful I thought we could we could nick a goal but even a draw would have been incredible but 1-0 I was like we can really hold our heads up high unfortunately Anna Philby made a mistake and a stupid back pass led to another goal and it made made it 2-0 um which was very, very disheartening because I don't think 2-0 is a fair reflection of the game. I think 1-0 would have been better because Arsenal went that much better. As I said, I think I think Chelsea were a lot better when we played against them at the bridge. Um, I had much many more, much more respect for Chelsea. Uh, but overall, I think, let's stop talking about other players and other teams. We did very, very well and I'm very, very proud of them. So, you know, as I said, going into this game, there were three things I wanted to do which one was the attendance, which we broke. The second was to put in a decent performance, which I think we've really, really achieved and we looked really good against last season's champions and, um, and to enjoy the game. And for the most part, I did. As I said, some of the fans really annoyed me. Um, but what can you do? If some people are disrespectful, then some people are disrespectful. But that shouldn't take away from the occasion. And it was incredible. And it's really sad that it's over now because I was really, really looking forward to it. But it was worth it. It was amazing. And I'm so glad that, I went there and I got to see the women play at the new stadium because they fully deserve it. And to be honest, we're on such an upwards trajectory. We can go only we can only go from strength to strength because we're sixth in the league right now. I think we're going to stay mid-table and then who knows what the next couple of years hold for us. But anyway. We've all been there. It's Wednesday night and the Champions League is in full swing. A player you've never heard of picks up the ball on the halfway line. He goes past one, goes past another. And then all of a sudden, he's on the edge of the box. He doesn't look up, but he kills a beauty into the top right-hand corner. He's the next big thing coming to Spurs. You sure of it? Well, now you can make a bit of cash on your prediction too. Football Index is the stock market for buying shares in footballers and the only football stock market available. They can even win payouts when they score an assist and when they perform in the media. Remember... This is an investment and a sure way of making profit, similar to what Harry Winks and Oliver Skip were when they were promoted to the Tottenham Hotspur first team. So go to www.footballindex.co.uk or download this app. Use the code SPURS on sign up to get the £500 money back guarantee. Start trading in something you love today with Football Index. 
Terms and conditions apply. 18 plus, And please gamble responsibly at BeGamblerWare.org. Thank you for your support as always. Tis the season to be hunched over your laptop. Not on our watch. In real life, you can feel your senses and your baskets. Feel all the sights, sounds, lols and OMGs. Wear laughing emojis on actual smiley faces. Batteries running low. Take the kids to Santa's Grotto. In real life, you can find just the right present using the most advanced search engine in the world. Your eyes. We heart in real life. Rent Cross London. Free parking for all sleighs and cars. I'm getting carried away. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. And come on, you Spurs. After that period of all those trophy wins, came a real sliding doors moment with yourself. Just a day away from leaving the football club. What happened at that period? Oh, if you thought the other stories were long, this is longer. Um, <laughs> for about two years, I I almost didn't do anything wrong um, on the first team pitch. There was a moment in a game, home game against Liverpool, always tough games, um, where I went up for a header in midfield, just took a bump on the shoulder, bump, and come down heavy on my right ankle. And as happens. So uh, it blew up. I carried on playing. Um, probably there was a no midweek the next week and I um, got myself fit for the next Saturday. Um, but I lost my confidence in my ankle. And although I was still working hard and running around and chasing and tackling and, and doing what I needed to do, you just lose your, your, your edge. And um, and my game sort of deteriorated, and and I didn't, I wasn't bad enough for Bill Nick to leave me out the team, um, but I was definitely not as good as what people first thought for for the first two years, and you know I was being named as if a, a future England captain and all of that stuff, and which definitely didn't, I didn't really take serious because as I said, I come back to it, I didn't really fancy myself. So I, I, I knew that I worked hard enough. I knew I was serious about football. Um, I didn't think that I was quite good enough on the ball um, as against others. I wasn't silky by any means. So, um, uh, so I was seen more as a team player than an individual. Um, anyway, eventually, um, uh, Charlie Faulkner, the chief scout that seen me the first time he phoned me up and said Steve um, there was a, a bit of a ruckus in the office today and, uh, and and this wasn't a typical phone call from Charlie um, if I saw him in the offices or you know around the ground he might say how you doing etc but this was a phone call from him and uh, this was different so uh, he said uh, they've decided in the office which is where they go back after training and discuss what's just happened and the team for next Saturday etc that your legs have gone. And um, so they're talking about you you sort of being finished with, with Tottenham. So uh, so this was, I, I mean, I knew I was struggling, but not enough for Bill Nick to leave me out. So I couldn't have been struggling so bad. So um, uh, he, he said, look, I'll, I'll show you. You think he's gone, I'll show you he's not. I'll show you how well thought of he is amongst other clubs in the top league. 
So I think that was how it worked out. And then he said, Bill Nick's going to phone you later um, and talk to you about it. So, okay, lovely. So um, no phone call. I went in the next day and he said, um, Steve, I've never thought about letting you go, but I've asked the club for two players and um, they've come back and they, they've asked for you. So what do you think about that? I said, where is it, Bill? Now, Charlie had already told me it was Coventry City, who were then in the top league. So he, he said, no, no, I'm not telling you. OK, so um, if if it's sort of way up north, no. If it's sort of Midlandish, downwards, yeah, I love it. He said, are you sure about that? Are you sure about what you just said to me? So I said, well, Bill, you asked me the question and you must be asking me for a reason. So um, he said, I suggest you go home and you talk to your people that you listen to, be it your dad, your brother, your wife, whoever, and you just you just tell them what's been said and that you've said you, you'd prepared to go. I said, well, Bill, I repeat, you, you've asked me. Uh, so anyway, I went home. Um, spoke to people, came back the next day, said, um, oh, yeah, I mean, it's important where, these, where this is. I've got young kids now and um, about schools and all that. But um, basically, yeah, I'll go. He said, I can't believe what you're saying. I just do not believe what you're saying. Well, same thing, Bill, you've asked me. Oh, okay, go and train and I'll speak to you later. Anyway, um, he didn't speak to me after the training and um, that night he resigned. So uh, maybe I was a day away, as you've just put it. Maybe maybe Bill was just sort of threatening me with, uh, you know, you need to improve to stay here, son, or what. But um, it could have also been a day away. And uh, anyway, Bill Nick resigned, he left, and then new manager came in. And his first words to me at the end of the training session was, uh, Steve, you're going nowhere. So that was the end of that. And then I, you carry on the career and end up doing 19 years at the place. So, I mean, loyalty works both ways. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I think I've been loyal. Um, but a couple of other occasions, a, a little whisper here and there and, and whatever, especially when we got relegated, a, a few teams, including Liverpool, sort of were, were, were talking about taking me. But um, uh, it works both ways. You've got to want to stay. You've got to stay and play for the club and the club have got to want you. If the club don't want you, there's no loyalty involved then. So you basically... the people are loyal if it suits both parties it mm. suited me to stay for those years um, I'm delighted that I stayed because it means that I get the respect that I got on the pitch my 50th sort of anniversary of my uh, my debut and all of that stuff and uh, of course a testimonial back in the day so I'm delighted that I was loyal but I understand when other players are not loyal or in another term decide to go because when you are not wanted by a manager, 
it's very, very difficult to um, to change his mind. Very difficult. Of course, I didn't have to change Bill Nick's mind, did I? Because he left. All I had to do was re-impress a new manager. So, um, which is which is uh, probably a bit easier to do. Um, so, so yeah, a, a day away could be right. Maybe it would never have been such, but um, but yeah. But really pleased that I didn't go. Then came a really black period for us after Terry Neal took over. We we recovered a little bit, and I, I know you say Terry made you a made you a, a different player. But came to, came down to the the blackest day in my time anyway. Relegation, and that mm. season was the first season I I really became a, a week in week out fan. I must admit, and and I think when I saw you in Dartford, I said to you then, you scored for me the most important goal that I've ever seen Tottenham score. That that goal against Hull, which which again, if if we don't score, the Aussie and Ricky period just never happens and we're we're stuck in division two for, for God knows how long. Yeah, I think the um it's very hard to pinpoint the reasons for that relegation. Um but I'll have a try. Um I think Bill Nick as he was getting old was um when you're when you're say 20 years a manager you start off and you're probably a bit naive then you have a middle period where you're on it absolutely on it and then you have a downturn towards the end um where you know you i I thought bill nick was trying to make too sure with signings he was going to watch someone for too many times he was almost waiting to find a, a, a weakness therefore not to sign him. And we stopped competing for the best players. The best players were going elsewhere. There was a query mark whether Tottenham would pay uh, under the count of money or black money, whatever you want to call it, uh, to top up the sort of the, the, the signing fees and the, the, the wages. Um, and, you know, they're possibly right not to do that. It's against the rules. But if everyone else is doing it, you are definitely going to lose out on um, on signing the best best players who want the best money. So um, we had three very important injuries, one to uh, Roger Morgan, one to Jimmy Pierce, and one to uh, uh, Peter Collins. And they were they were going to be good players, these three. And to lose them in one year is, a, is just supposing they'd have been top 11, two or three years' time, uh, you've, you've lost the third of your team. So um, that means they have to be replaced and and we weren't good at replacing players. We weren't doing it particularly correctly. And then, you know, the rot had set in then and Bill Nick left and, and Terry Neal, I'm not sure he was the right manager, but actually personally did not do me any harm. I, I would keep saying that um, with, his, with his red connections and stuff. And uh, then Keith Birkinshaw was appointed, who you'd say was was naive to the management game, and too naive to cope with the the sort of second class players that we we'd become, and that's what we did become. We came second class, i.e., second division. So, um, but anyone who started supporting us like yourself in those second days would have seen. Um, 50,000 crowds, a club that knew it shouldn't really be where it was, desperate to get out, uh, a manager that was learning week by week, um, 
Uh, we got out playing with some style. Uh, of course, when that team helped by my goal against Hull City, and I think it was an important goal too, um, uh, because the last step is always the, the hardest one to take to win anything or to get promoted. And we had started to stutter. I think we lost at home to Sunderland in what looked a, a very winnable game. And um, so the whole one, the whole victory was absolutely uh, immense. And so it led us to the, the last game at, at Southampton and we got a nil-nil draw and we both went up. Didn't help that Keith and uh, Laurie McMenemy come out arm-in-arm covering each other before the game along the touchline. And that, that led people to believe that there was some sort of uh, agreement being made about getting a draw. Well, when Alan Ball hit the post, I don't think he, he'd entered into any agreement. Um, so, <laughs> Ball, Ball, he just wanted to beat Tottenham, mate. <laughs> oh, of course he did. Of course he did. So, uh, but... Uh, I enjoyed that season as much as any. Yeah. Certainly, certainly more than the relegation season. <laughs> and um, so uh, we got back up and then, you know, Keith said to me, he said, Steve, I am going to make us a bloody good football team. And that's easier said than done. Um, but then he, he, he went and signed Ozzy and Ricky and then Garth and Archie, etc. We had youngsters coming through to sort of boost the squad. Um, Roberts and Galvin were two great signings, fantastic signings. So, and, and that tells you what a team is. The team is about balance. It's you've got to have enough height, you've got to have enough pace, you've got enough hunger, you've got to have enough nounce about you tactically be it from the manager, be it from the pitch. And, um, yeah, you, you've, got to, you've got to have players that dig in. You've got to have, we had Glenn that could, could put the icing on the cake with his, with his unbelievable technique. Um, and the crowd reacted to, to getting up. Well, they, the crowd reacted to us going down in a very, very good way. They showed their loyalty to their club. When, when we got relegated and then they showed it again when we got promoted. So you're justifying yourself that the aim is to get promoted and we got promoted. It's not a trophy, but it's a, it's a feather in your cap. Well, no, not a great feather because you shouldn't have got relegated really. <laughs> so, um, uh, and then, you know, Keith started to build this team and it didn't over happen overnight when just because he signed Argentinians it probably led us a little bit to play a, a different type of way, um, which was definitely beatable. If you look at our results, you know, from from signing the two lads onwards up until the early eighties. Um, so, uh, but it's a, it's about getting the balance of, of you know, it's, it's no good being able to attack for your lives and be brilliant, and you can't defend for Toffee because uh, you're going to lose games. So, uh, but but. Keith had an unbelievable um, passion for this club, for Tottenham Hotspur. And um, he... He still has it today, doesn't he? Yes. He truly believed that he was going to make something special. And, um, 
you know, I don't, I don't think we would compare. Not that I saw the fifty fifty one team, the sixty sixty one team. I don't think we could compare to those, but we were the next best in, if you know what I mean. And um, although the early seventies team weren't bad either, but um, the early eighties team could hold its own, could compete, could score, could defend, could mix it, and uh, with the confidence that the 81 the 80 81 cup gave us it sort of uh, notched us up to believing in ourselves a touch more coming back to what what does a trophy do for you adds to that belief you have a few good nights at the end of a season on tour um or the after you know the after final banquet and stuff you you are together you are more together than you've ever been and you appreciate each other and and work for each other. That, just that extra bit, because you've uh, because you've managed to to, to win through. So um, a great period. The early eighties was a great period for us. Was eighty five probably the biggest disappointment in that? It's the only time in in my lifetime when I really believed we'd win the league. When we when we won at Liverpool for the first time in what seventy three years, astonishing win at Anfield. It put us joint top. 13 games to go, nine of which are at home. And we didn't yeah. win the league. We it's, blew it's, it. It's, we blew it. Is that, and if you could play one game in your time again, would it be that Everton home game? I don't think we had anything to, um, to be embarrassed about with that game. I thought we played, yeah. I thought we played really well. And um, Big Neville. It went against us. That, there's certain games that go against you. But I think if you, if you, you check it out, the next game, having come back from Liverpool, within there after seventy odd years, I think it might have been Norwich at home. And okay, there is no certainty. There is no certainty in any game. But you'd like to think that we're going to go and take. You know, it's a massive. It's a massive two points at Liverpool. It's massive. But guess what? If you lose to Norwich, you've just cost yourself those two points you just won. It doesn't come off your total, of course not. But as per how your opponents are doing against you, with they're probably winning or drawing somewhere, you're, you're losing chalks. And um, one of the things in, in a couple of the years where I thought we've really had a chance, I I don't believe in rotation, but I do believe if you go and play from our era, I don't know about this era, as per how they're travelling and and the arrangements that are made in our era, if you went and played in midweek in Europe, we were definitely not, we didn't quite have the legs that we would have done if we weren't playing. And the club we're playing against is probably not played in midweek. And so they have got their legs and, um, you know, you can, you can have as many great players as you want and technicians and hard and, Archie and, and all, all that goes with it. Um, if you haven't got your legs against a team that has got legs, it, 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 it can make up a great, great amount. Um, call it legs, uh, put in their confidence, put in their, you know, um, uh, like a winning mentality. If you go away and get beaten at Bayern Munich 4-1, for instance, in the fog, or three one, um, 
you come back, you, there's, there's a slight edge taken off you, albeit you're not playing Bayern Munich on the Saturday. Do you see what I mean? So yep. it's um, anything that upset, upsets your flow. And I come back to the, the, the rotation. I think rotation upsets your flow as well. So I, I was part of the reason I was so consistent was I could listen to my body. Your body tells you when it's thirsty. Your body tells you when you're tired. The body tells you when you're hungry. The body gives you a clue about your fitness. And, you know, a fat ankle is a clue. Mm, be careful with that. And um, I was very adept at listening to my body. And by the time I become experienced, I knew if that was a fat ankle that needed resting or a fat angle that I could run through. And, um, you know, I hear about... Um, players missing games because they had cramp or players missing games because they um, got a kick on the calf. Well, guess what? Kick on the calf hurts. But you can play <laughs> through it without making any more damage. And that's the clue. If you've got physios that are telling you, I, I asked it all the time when there was doubt, will I do more damage? And if they said, no, you won't, Steve, that was it. That was good enough for me. So that's not saying I'm brave. That's saying I'm intelligent enough to listen to the person whose job it is to give the right advice. Be it the doctor, like we expect when we go to, you know, a lawyer or whatever. It's no good going paying these these fees for these people to give you advice and walk out of the office and say he's talking shit. <laughs> Steve, can I ask you? After enjoyable years at Oxford and Watford, you returned to the football club as an assistant manager under Aussie seven years later, but you found a different club to the one which you originally were at. It was run by Alan Sugar. And if Daniel Levy to some is unpopular amongst some fans, is it fair to say some of your opinions on Alan Sugar's leadership and understanding of football isn't too high? I've got to be very careful here as I was when I, when I wrote the book, um, all I will say is that it certainly was not the club that I'd left as a player in terms of spirit around the place, um, like a club spirit. Um, and that can come from a laundry lady, a tea lady, the, the uh, stewards, the wherever. But of course it's generated by you and the people that are leading the players. And um, I... It, there, was a, there was a whole different feel about that place. I didn't enjoy being there. Um, when eventually Aussie left, and I, I knew I was going, but but was asked to be caretaker, which lasted one game. When I eventually left, I knew I would be leaving. Um, I I wasn't too unhappy to leave uh, because I didn't see it as a place that was conducive to. Um, to improvement, to belief in um, who you were working for and stuff. So um, I think that's about as far as I can go on that. It was, it was, of course, football changes, business changes, business takes over a bit. So there's there's nothing wrong with any of that. Um, but you know, basically, you're a group of people working together for the same cause. 
and that is to make your club that you all feel strongly about make them as successful as possible and um i think the club had lost that spirit and um and football was not it sort of started to happen a bit under scholar football was not didn't seem to be the most important thing anymore um and uh that's worrying for me that's worrying um i i i think if you i think if you want to if you want to run a football business properly you get in football people that know about football and you you step back and listen to them about football things and you know I, i've been involved the, the last sort of third in my career at exeter city well it's because i was never going to work for 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 anyone who could sort of dominate my opinion because of their money because of pound notes mm. and and i'm i'm only a football man i'm not a businessman i'd i'd shops etc but that was all um, dictated to by my second brother bill thankfully um but i i knew the value of if my name's above the door steve perriman sports that if i walked in and ignored the shop floor staff i don't think that's helping them turning them on making them wanting to work better and harder for the for the end result and um you know any organization is a group of people working and pulling together and uh, i think that's the only way forward and and in terms of football what better way of earning money is being successful i.e. winning things and producing players now if you buy a player it's not all about producing your own homegrown players i really believe in that but if you buy a player like bow for instance for a million however much and turn him into a world class player that's earning money so do as much as you can for the players while they're with you to improve them not necessary to sell them but if they're good enough then for you know a world class team to want to sign them and they want to offer enough money that's another way of earning money so you know at Exeter city we produce players and and they're still surviving today on selling homegrown talent and i think that's a great way to do it i i have a message for any club exeter or or, or spurs do not undersell do not undervalue do not uh, treat homegrown players as second class citizens because when you strip it right back every player you've ever fancied as a good player was homegrown somewhere and the best player i've ever played against is george best homegrown the best technical player i've ever played with is glen hoddle homegrown where would tottenham hotspur be without harry kane in the last 3 or 4 years homegrown i put myself in a uh, i'd never talk about myself as being good but i was a bloody good captain homegrown and um so so it was a tense time it was i i said in the book i fell out of love with tottenham hotspur and and football and for steve perriman to say that it was not good 
it was not good. And um, so you need to, you know, start a new chapter. And my new chapter was was for six months on a short term contract in Norway. And then I went to Japan, which was amazing. The respect that Ozzy and myself got in Japan was phenomenal. And we won things. And, uh, you know, people say, ah, it's Japan. Well, Wenger was in charge of a more powerful club than we were. They had the might of Toyota behind them. Oh, they did not, he did not win <laughs> what we won. <laughs> he did not win what we won, but yet came home and won the double. So um, when people say it's only Japan, hmm, it's, it's tough to win trophies in any country you work in. And uh, we did it. When we when we won the league uh, in Japan and Aussie won the League Cup and, and various other things, uh, I won an Asian tournament, um, it was like Leicester City a, a few years back winning our league. It was a total, total surprise because the, the club was not owned by a big multi, multi-million um, in, industry Mitsubishi, Hitachi, Yamaha, all these. It was owned by the community. So we weren't as powerful, but we were more clever. And it can be done. It can be done. Uh, with hard work, graft, people working together, a club all pulling the same way. And um, what I do believe is under Keith Birkinshaw and Bill Nicholson, the club was pulling the same way. They didn't agree with everything that you asked for. They didn't give you, they didn't send flowers to your wife. They didn't do, you know, noncy things that I hear about at other clubs. <laughs> but when it comes to your treatment as a player, you felt first class, first class. And therefore, when you went out to play, you didn't have any excuses. One last thing I want to ask you, Steve, as we close on this hour, is you sadly missed the finale day at White Hart Lane. So what were your impressions of the new stadium when you finally had the chance to visit it, following your rightful induction also back into the club's Hall of Fame in 2012? I mean, tell us, what was your emotions going into that new stadium for the first time as we look to close the show? Well, I was truly amazed uh, by the by the... Well, first of all, I went to the training ground. What a place to go and go to work every day and try and improve and practice and and get down to work. Um, wonderful place. Um, so whoever planned that, whoever paid for it, I take my hat off. Um, same with the stadium. Phenomenal. Someone said to me, Steve, do you think it's worth the money? I said, I don't understand the money part of it. <laughs> but I tell you what, it was worth the wait. I feel very sorry for the next top-class club that has to build a new stadium because surely you've got to do it better every time. Tottenham have done it better, um, certainly from the one down the road. And um, it's it's a joy. It's it, it doesn't help, Steve. They built their one north of the river instead of back in Woolwich. That's the problem with their one. <laughs> yeah, well, I know where you're coming from on that. Um, yeah. Um, I um, I, have, I have trouble with South London. I I could go <laughs> three times in a week and couldn't tell you how I got there or how I got home. 
or Charlton or Crystal Palace. I just, my memory does not take in the roads that I'm driving on. And I, of course, I'm from West London, but I, of course, prefer North London, uh, but particularly one side of it. Steve, Steve, what's your relationship now with the club like? I mean, obviously, as I mentioned, alluded to it, you've now rightfully was inducted back into the Hall of well, rightfully inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2012. Would you say now you're on very good terms with the football club? How would you describe your relationship? Yes, yes they they helped me promote the book, um, but that's at the end of a, a a few years. I did not stay away on purpose from the last game of the season. I um, I had a very important job to do for Exeter at Carlisle in a playoff semi-final, first leg. Um, would have loved to have been there. The manager, Paul Tisdale, said, Steve, are you sure you're not going to that game? Are you sure you don't think you should be there? And I said, Tis, of course I should be there. Of course I should. And I'd love to be there, but Exeter City are paying my wages. And they're, you know, let's come back to winning a trophy. <laughs> you've got a, you've got a, you got to pay respect for the, work, the the money that you're earning every week by getting some silverware at the end of the season. Well, our silverware was going to be promotion, hopefully. And, um, of course, to get promoted, you've got to get through the Carlisle game and then get to Wembley and hopefully win there. So um, I, I couldn't possibly, I couldn't go. I couldn't possibly go. And that was no disrespect to the club. Um, I think the club are being very respectful to me now. I did not think they were being disrespectful when they were were holding the Hall of Fame and allowing them um, the double some of the double players to come down and pay their own expenses and not stay in hotels to stay with friends and not give them petrol money and stuff like that to attend a Hall of Fame when the club was earning money out of that function. It was a total total nonsense so um i said i'm not going to be involved in this and uh, and i held out and um and eventually um i think they were respectful to me and me and jimmy greaves um were inducted on the same day we had the same thoughts about it unfortunately jimmy couldn't be there because of his his health situation and um and a, a donation was made to jimmy's um jimmy's recovery fund so i i felt that was good enough and and that was paying respect to to what that evening means and you know if if the evening is about being um you know the honor fine um don't earn any money out of it mm. i mean if steve it's about, a- if it's about earning money then so be it it's been a brilliant time with you tonight, mate. I mean, we we could speak for weeks and weeks and weeks, and, and I, I honestly could, I honestly could. And thanks so much for spending that the time with us. The reason why I did the book in terms of um, the way it's turned out, it's not the typical autobiography with like no. six pages in the middle with pictures. There's pictures to accompany every page. And the reason I did that was because of one thing, the letter that Bill Nicholson sent my father. So Mr. Spurs sends a letter to the father of a 15-year-old boy saying how much he wanted to sign him and uh, how the school problems 
were evaporating because I did have a problem to leave school. They were going to take us to court and and all that stuff because my mother apparently had signed a form that I was going to stay till I was 18. Um, They were making a case that I would have been a a university boy, which there was no possible chance on earth of that happening. And um, so the letter that he wrote to this 15-year-old's father, the 15-year-old eventually signed for the club and became the most appeared, most trophied player, probably one of the most consistent players, not the best player at Tottenham, of course not, um, but nobody cared more than me. Nobody cared. So um, uh, the famous artist drew something of me, and, and when he sent it to me, the original, he wrote on it to Steve, the best club man Spurs have ever had. And I'm not going to argue with that. Amen. Um, if, if you think about how what club man means. Um, so um, but could you ask the question? I think there was one sub involved in the famous game when we won a replay at Man United in the FA Cup when Glenn Hoddle had to go in goal. Um, can you name the sub that came on when... Uh, Milio Alexic was carried off. Okay, that is the question. Steve, thank you ever so much for this hour. I can't thank you enough. And Steve, at some point when you're free, we know you're a busy man. We'll have to try and get together and do this again, Steve. It's been a real pleasure having you on this week's show. Thank you ever so much. You're more than welcome. I've really enjoyed it. And hi to all the Spurs fans. You are a star. Absolute honour, mate. Thank you so much. They're being given time. They're taking it. It's Pierce. Perryman! Brilliant! Not away by Hill to Perryman! And it's in! Off the goalkeeper's arms! It's a goal! Steve Perryman must be credited for that! Knowles is cross. Gilzine Tedda. Perryman! Tottenham's ninth corner. Perryman shot! He's done it again! Jerry Naylor. Gilzine. Jivers, no flag has been given. Todd had moved up expecting one. Coates. Perryman. Good cross there by Evans, clipped nicely there, and Perriman following it in. Chivers with a 1 2, Perriman! Yes! Beautifully played by Spurs. There could hardly be a better example of a 1 2 than that. As Knowles takes another corner for Tottenham, it's a deeper one this time towards Mike England. Perriman in there! Still got it across though, now can Jones turn? He's played for Perryman! Yes, and Tottenham has scored! Jimmy Neighbour. Again trying to get round Cooper and does so. Oh yes! Perryman! A 
Pratt. Duncan. He's got round. Perriman now. Blinding goal by Steve Perriman. Now Hoddle. Hoddle taking it back again. Perriman's right in there. And Perriman has equalised within a minute. 1-1. Here's Billy up for Spurs, here's Brook. Brook's waiting for a chance, so is Archibald here, so is Steve Perryman. And Steve Perryman, a great chaser of lost causes, puts Tottenham back to 3-2 with his first goal of the season. Five minutes later, and it was Steve Perryman knocking the ball into the Ipswich penalty area. And as the attack continued, Perryman sliding in to put Tottenham back in front of 3-2. Tis the season to be hunched over your laptop. Not on our watch. In real life, you can fill your senses and your baskets. Feel all the sights, sounds, lols and OMGs. Wear laughing emojis on actual smiley faces. Battery's running low. Take the kids to Santa's Grotto. In real life, you can find just the right present using the most advanced search engine in the world. Your eyes. We heart in real life. Brent Cross London. Free parking for all sleighs and cars. Sports Social Podcast Network.